DJ PK, it is time now to welcome in Ben Anderson. You hear him on the Jazz pre-half and post-game radio shows here on the Zone Sports Network. He joins us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Get a Samsung S10 for $0 when you activate a new line of service with a flex lease. Now, through December 26th, visit the Sprint store nearest you. Ben, good morning. Good morning. Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays to you, too. And for jazz fans, will they get the merriest of Christmas presents? A victory over the Miami Heat, currently on a 59-win pace, surprising the entire league and playing very well. Jazz have a five-game win streak, but they haven't beaten teams of quality of the Heat. Yeah, I think the uh, five-game win streak might be the Jazz's best gift they get this year. They don't get the uh, the Red Rider BB gun in the form of a win over the Miami Heat. They're just... They're playing very well. They're playing well at home. Uh, the end of a road trip right before Christmas. This just has all the makings of a of a quick game for the Miami Heat. But, you know, maybe the Jazz are playing better than we think, David. I think you're right that they haven't beat anyone necessarily over this five-game stretch, but maybe they're playing better than we recognize as a result of uh, not playing better teams. And maybe they're just kind of hiding the actual quality of play. All right, we, we know we obsess over the Jazz, obviously, Ben. We've been doing it for years, as you have. And so we tend to see warts. And I, I can't really disagree with what you're saying. I'm not following the Miami Heat as much, but I'm looking at their stats, and they got a couple of guys that really jump out at you. Jimmy Butler is a proven commodity, and Drogic has been hurt. And they got a couple of guys that I did not expect to be playing this well. Are the Miami Heat, or how legitimate are the Miami Heat, if they are in fact legitimate? You know, right now, and I mean, they, they, they've proved it in the past week, I would put them above the Philadelphia 76ers as far as contenders go in the Eastern Conference. Now, it starts with Milwaukee, and maybe Milwaukee's the only true contender in the Eastern Conference right now, but Toronto's been very solid. And then I'd probably put uh, Philly right in that conversation. I, or I should say I would put Miami in that conversation. Philadelphia is just a little clunky. They just Their offense doesn't quite make sense, and the pieces don't quite make sense. And then you have a really good coach like Eric Spolstra in Miami, a legit superstar in Jimmy Butler. Bam Adebayo's been playing at an all-star level this year. And then they've had some nice rookies. Kendrick Nunn, who was undrafted, kind of came out of nowhere, having a very good season this year. So it's a real team. that They're very good. They, they are at this point still, I think, overlooked because no one expected them to be contenders. But there's a real chance they're playing in the Eastern Conference Finals. In Saturday's win over Charlotte, Quinn Snyder shortened the bench in the second half. The starters all played at least 35 minutes. Joe Ingles played the most at 39. I'm of the opinion that won't happen again in Miami, that Quinn will pick his spots with that. But clearly, he's used multiple substitution patterns. He's trying to figure out how to get production out of the bench. Is there anything that can be done short of adding two new players? Uh, I mean, I think he can test again what he did uh, against uh, in the last game where, where he played uh, Tony Bradley more over Ed Davis. And if you're just not getting results from Ed Davis, who's been one of the worst offensive players in the NBA this season, you may have to go in that direction. But then again, you can't have Tony Bradley picking up four fouls in three minutes. So it, it, at this point, the Jazz are short-handed. The, the best you can hope for, I think, in the long term is getting Mike Conley back and healthy because that you know pushes everyone on the end of the bench one spot further down. And, and when you've actually looked at the bench lineup the Jazz have when they play Donovan Mitchell, Emmanuel Moutier, Joe Ingles, Jeff Green, and Ed Davis, that's actually a really good group. The problem is when you don't have Mike Conley, everyone shifts down a spot. Mike Conley has to be in the start, or I should say Joe Ingles has to be in the starting lineup. And then you end up having to play George Niang or you end up having to play Tony Bradley. And those groups struggle a lot more 
than when they have Mike Conley and Ingles can play with that second unit. I, I think that second unit really probably just needs an, an additional playmaker alongside Donovan Mitchell. And, and when everyone's healthy, Joe Ingles can do that. And when Mike Conley's not healthy, it's just a little bit too short. Okay, I would ask then how much of the success is due to the fact that Joe Ingles is in the starting lineup as opposed to have to start because of the Conley injury. I actually think Joe starting is better for the team. Yeah, I agree because, you know, you've won these last five games and Joe Ingles starting is a huge part of it. In fact, it's just Joe Ingles getting his game going. I mean, he just had such a slow start to the year. You needed some way for him to be productive. And, you know, he's paid to be productive. He's not a, a... you know, minimum salary guy. He needs to go out and, and give the Jazz big numbers. And in the month of December, he's really done that, where he's shooting 50% from the floor, shooting 50% from the three-point line. He's up in double digits. He's been leading the team in assists for the last five games. So that's what you need from him. Now, the the difficult part for Quinn, I think, early in the season was whoever he put on the bench, whether it was Joe Ingles or Royce O'Neal, seemed to really struggle. And then the one game that Mike Conley was able to come back a few games ago Royce O'Neal moved to the bench and was still really good with that unit. So if that's the solution and Royce O'Neal can be good off the bench, I wouldn't be surprised if Joe Ingles stays in the starting lineup for the rest of the year. We just had a brief glimpse of it uh, when Conley was healthy because he's been out for a little bit of a run now. But it seems like the thing Quinn has gone away from is don't play guys 7, 8, and 9 together. Play two of the three of them, but don't play all three at the same time. And that seems to change production, although it's a really small sample size because by the time... He decided to give that a shot. Then Conley's been hurt, so it hasn't really been fully tested. Do you think that will work and that that's sustainable without playing the starters too many minutes and without putting guys 7, 8, and 9 out there together? Yeah, I think that's the goal, and I think ideally that's the rotation we're going to end up seeing. And maybe you have to you know, rob Peter to pay Paul. You have to take some talent out of the starting lineup and, and mix it more in with the bench more regularly. You know, maybe Jeff Green has to play more with the starters, and that puts Boyan Bogdanovich more with that bench instead of the seven, eight, and nine players altogether. And I do think that's the issue Quinn Snyder's been trying to accomplish. But it's not like he doesn't recognize it. I honestly don't think the Jazz have been healthy enough to really try it very often. Now, I know currently Dante Exum's not in the rotation, but he was hurt for the first 10 or so games of the season. And then Ed Davis missed a month with the broken leg, and you've had Mike Conley now in and out of the lineup. It's not like the Jazz have had the top nine guys fully healthy for a significant amount of time where I think Quinn Snyder can really play with those rotations to find what he's looking for and find what he calls separation among the five-man units he likes to play. So I do think health has still been an issue for this team, but David, I think you're right. Over time, that's what we're going to end up seeing is a, a, a more consistent mixing and matching of starters with that second unit as opposed to kind of a clear-cut one unit, two units. How much separation do you see in the West it's hard right now because the Lakers have lost three straight, and you recognize how good LeBron James is because when he's hurt at all, that Lakers team really struggles. And then last night, this kind of a scary hyperextension of his knee uh, that you saw from Anthony Davis. Otherwise, I think the Lakers are the best team when they're fully healthy, and I have a hard time as good as Paul George and as good as Kawhi Leonard are thinking that if LeBron's playing at this level in the postseason with Anthony Davis' size, that the Clippers are going to match up as well as I think a lot of people expected them to. So I think that could be an issue. That would probably be the biggest separation. And then, honestly, there's going to be a team that gets hot in the second half of the season, and it's going to make a real push to make the finals out of the West because it's still mostly a two-man team with the Lakers, and that could be a problem come the playoffs. And the Clippers aren't unproven, 
we should say in the playoffs because they, they pushed the Warriors last year in the first round without Paul George and without Kawhi Leonard. But, you know, Lou Williams has been in the league a very long time. How much does he have? And in a playoff series, when teams start to attack him defensively every single time he's on the floor, does that become an issue that they have a hard time overcoming? Or if they have to play Patrick Beverly, who's not really an offensive threat, does that become an issue? Otherwise, I don't know if there's a clear-cut third team. Houston's been playing well, but Russell Westbrook teams always play well in the regular season and then are pretty terrible in the playoffs, and the Jazz have been you know, beneficiaries of that in the last two years. So I- I'm not sure I'm totally believing in Houston yet, and I think that's where the optimism for Jazz fans should come, that if they get that first unit clicking, like I think they have been over the last 10 games or so, and they start to figure out solutions on that bench, the Jazz is going to be really hard to beat because the starting unit is blowing teams out. They just can't lose those leads then when they go to the second unit. So the Jazz right now are on pace to be a 51-win team. If you kind of play it out to midseason when you get there, they might be on a little better clip than that. Do you see them as a 53, 55-win team when it's all said and done? I think 51 is probably accurate. And David, I think you and I talked about that before the season, just kind of breaking down in 25-game stretches where the Jazz need to be or 18-game stretches, what record the, the Jazz need to have. And I think as long as you're, you know, six, seven, eight games over 500 going into January, you're probably pretty confident you'll get over 50 wins. It's hard to get up to 55 when, you, when you've lost a couple of random games, like losing to the Sacramento Kings. But those become... Those are the difference between 51 and 55 because, you know, I don't think the Jazz are going to end up stealing extra games against the elite teams in the Eastern Conference like Miami tonight when they go on the road. It's just hard to make those up when you've lost a couple of those games that you shouldn't lose early in the season. What's your level of confidence that they actually make a move somewhere along the line here? I think it's hard to. I mean, I think that's the issue overall is that, you know, the, the most ideal contract I think you could move, and I'm just not looking at the player, but the number is Dante Exum at $9 million, and he's got $9 million next year. So ideally, somebody would be acquiring a young asset that they could send back a couple of quality bench pieces that make $4 million and $5 million. But nobody's trading for Dante Exum right now because he hasn't been able to, to stay in the lineup. And, and I don't know if it's rehab. I don't know what the issue is, but... He's not playing very well so far this season. And then Jeff Green and Davis are on small contracts and aren't playing very well, so those are hard to move. I just I don't know what piece the Jazz would have unless they were willing to move a starter or if you were willing to attach Royce O'Neal to a contract like Dante Exum, and then you're giving up a lot because Royce O'Neal is, is just coming into his own in the NBA, and I think because you have him on your roster, you would like to at least have the opportunity to pay him this offseason unless you were getting an absolute no-brainer, six-man-of-the-year candidate back that would run that bench. I, I just don't know how the Jazz would make a move, and I, I don't know which pieces they would use. So my confidence level in it is not extremely high. I wouldn't be surprised if, if as the Stars continue to play well, and I know he wasn't on the team that won the 13th uh, straight game last night, but maybe Jarrell Brantley starts getting some opportunity off the bench because you know right now Jeff Green – is a bottom four or five player in the NBA. I mean, he's just he, just looking at his, his real plus-minus numbers. He's just not playing very well. So you have to find some level of production. And if you're getting anything other than really low-level play, it's probably worth trying in the next month or two. I'm assuming we're not going to see Mike Conley for a couple of weeks now. You, have you heard anything? You, they're usually really conservative, and he's already come back once and gotten hurt. So I don't see how they're anything but really conservative with him now. Yeah, I think you have to be. Uh, I mean, uh, I think Jazz fans are always going to be haunted by the Carlos Boozer hamstring injury and knowing how, how long that took to get back. And 
You know, I think they were conservative with Mike Conley this first time around, and he came back and hurt it by the, what, early fourth quarter? I think one minute into the fourth quarter, he got re-injured. So why not take it slow? I do think there is some value in solving some of the team's other issues while Mike Conley's out because, you know, you're still trying to reintegrate Conley, or I should say integrate Mike Conley into this rotation. And it's it's not been perfect to start the season. And then when he went out, it, it kind of allowed Quinn Snyder and the Jazz to focus on getting Joe Ingles going. And that absolutely worked. And, and Joe Ingles got going while Mike Conley was out. And I don't know if it's exactly correlated, but, but certainly PK, as you mentioned, moving him into the starting lineup seemed to be the solution. So while you've had something suspended that you can't fix, like figuring out how to get Mike Conley to get back to Memphis, Mike Conley, you've solved other problems. So maybe you keep doing that and, and be a little extra cautious with Mike Conley and then bring him back with a more complete product where he's not being asked to do as much. And that, that could be the ticket for the Jazz in mid-January, late January, if he's out that long, to get this team really clicking. And that's when Quinn Snyder teams traditionally have started to gel and, and played really well over the last couple of seasons. All right, well, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for uh, joining us here and uh, enjoy the game. And then, uh, you know, happy holidays from there, Ben. Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas, guys. Thanks. <laughs>